Hello, everybody. Welcome to the MTG Place podcast. I am here with my co-host, James. Hello, everybody. And we got some exciting news, James. You want to lead with that? Uh, yeah. So, um... We are affiliated with TCG Player now, which is pretty sick. Um, so we know that you guys uh, are, you know, probably going to be buying cards for Magic. Um, so why not support us in the process? Because that would be pretty, you know, pretty sick to uh, support the podcast while also uh, buying cards. Um, so if you're using TCG to buy your MTG cards, you can use our link, uh, which is www.tcgplayer.com slash question mark UTM underscore campaign equal sign affiliate ampersand UTM underscore medium equal sign MTG place ampersand UTM underscore source equal sign MTG place. Sorry, that is an awful URL. We will definitely be posting that in the dump at the end. Yeah, it's Um, also going to be on Discord, so the easiest way to find it is Discord or the show notes. Uh, Second way you can support us is through Patreon. It's patreon.com slash mtgplace. We have all kinds of perks there, swag, all sorts of stuff. Uh, Tier levels start at a dollar. And uh, we know not everyone has extra money to support content creators with us, so the other way you can support us is check us out on YouTube, uh, join our Discord, listen to our podcast, helps share the podcast that's always awesome and uh we're just going to jump into the main topic today because we're here with a guest so uh let's welcome our guest stacked uh so why don't you introduce yourself what's going on folks my name is stack tcg um you can also call me robert uh i am a level one judge uh, i am from florida and i am excited to be here today and we are very happy to have you here it's a uh, pretty awesome talking to a uh it's still DCI, right? A DCI judge, which is uh, pretty awesome, for sure. Yeah, so uh, what made you want to get in there? When did you first get into Magic, Stack? So the first set that I got into was probably Battle for Zendikar, um, which I think was around 2015. Um, what got me into it, I couldn't tell you. That was just the set that I picked up and said, hey, let's try this out. Um, most of it's just because of my love for trading card game since the TCG at the end of stacked. Um, so uh, what made you want to become a DCI judge for MTG? So to become, uh, the reason I wanted to become a judge is a, I love teaching the game. I've, uh, have a huge passion for trading card games in general. Um, but I wanted to be, be able to understand what I'm teaching about the game. And also there wasn't in my area too many judges in the area. So I was like, why not? Since I love the game, go ahead and just get the certification to be the judge in my area or to be a judge in my area and hopefully bring more excitement to the play field in my area. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, have you been able to judge since the pandemic? So since I got my judging, uh, since I got certified as a judge at the beginning of the pandemic, I have not actually been able to go to an event as a judge. Um, but hopefully by December of this year, you'll see me at my first event judging in the Pensacola area if everything pans out the way it should be. That's awesome. Yeah, I know the pandemic sucks. <laughs> yeah, it kind of put a damper on a lot of things. Yeah, oh, I miss doing in-person magic, man. <laughs> uh, so um, do you have a favorite card? 
So my favorite card, I know uh, before the show we were talking about Jace, but my favorite card is honestly Void Winnower. Because, you know, why? N- not even. Not even. <laughs> you just can't play evens? Yeah, you just can't <laughs> even. We always say, oh, what does that card do? Oh, you can't even. You can't, you literally, you can't play you, even spells. You literally can't even. Oh, my God. Such a meme. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I like it. I liked it before I even realized it was a meme. I just it was a card. That was, I think it was the uh, first mythic card I pulled, and I was like, "I love this card," and it's just been my pet card ever since. That's awesome. I love it when MTG memes things. It's great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as long as it's not another Stormcrow meme where everyone's selling Stormcrows for fifty dollars. Okay, no. that's just stupid. <laughs> because you could pitch it to Forest. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so what is your uh, favorite part of being a judge? Uh, well, I, I, I think I kind of touched on it earlier, but my favorite part is just being able to know what I'm teaching and showing people how to play the game. Just the just to know that I can, if someone wants to know more about why a certain interaction is, I can A, know what resources to give them, or B, be able to show them this is why this works a certain way. And just give detail. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so as you said, you um, haven't really been able to judge yet, but um, so what, have you, uh, what events have you been to just in person uh, as a player and any favorite ones? Uh, the only events I've been to are honestly tabletops <laughs> at this point. Um, because uh, like, I, again, like we were saying before the show, most of the LGSs in my area either either weren't wizard sponsored or are just recently getting wizards um, affiliation to where they can host events. Um, now with that being said, during the pandemic, my LGS, if any of y'all knew they did the uh, arena special where if you did the arena FNM, I took place in a lot of those and those were just uh, a lot of fun to participate in, but a uh, bigger events, I haven't been to any yet, but again, hopefully soon. Yeah, those were a lot of fun. I did some of those uh, with our Definitely. local Lodestone, and uh, you get the the promo skins or whatever when mm-hmm. you send them your screenshot after doing the FNM event. Correct. Yeah, and then we've we've uh, back in the day when they used to be called PTQs and uh, GPs and all that stuff. We've been to a couple of those here in Minneapolis, and then I know Corey, you and some of our other friends have gone to uh, Magic Fest and um, also. Um, eternal weekend and things like that so i know you guys had a lot of fun with those yeah those but those big events are really fun for sure especially with all the there's just so much you can do even if you're not doing the main event there's like side events there's commander pods there's all that stuff that you can do that are all a great all time. the magic fun in one spot oh yeah right, exactly. exactly it's like oh i busted out of the main event well let me go do some uh, eternal masters drafts chaos <laughs> draft all that good stuff all right, so if someone was wanting to be a judge, what should they do? So the first thing I'm going to tell you is go to judgeacademy.com and make an account. Um, if you've already got a Wizards account, and I might be wrong on this, but if you already have a Wizards account, you should be able to link the two. Um, from there, you'll be able to start doing the uh, the classes to at least get your um, – it's not a judge. It's not even a recognized rank by the Wizards Coast, but I can't remember what it's called anymore. But – you can start doing the classes to get that and go through the testing. The other thing is go on Facebook. There's plenty of judge forums. Just Google them, um, and I guarantee you'll find one. Or not Google them. Search them on Facebook. I guarantee you'll find one. 
join in, ask for a judge so you can get one of the discords for judging and start interacting with other judges and you can learn more from there. Find yourself an L2 within your region, which the discords will help you do. Um, and start communicating with them, talking with them. If you have questions, ask, get the reference from them, take that final test and be set. Now I will tell you there is a subscription fee to be a judge um, that has changed. So I'm not gonna quote exactly what the price is on that, but there is a subscription fee for being a judge. And most of that pays for the, the judge promos that you get for being a judge. Right, and that kind of ties into our next question. Um, do you get paid at all for judging, or is it basically just the promos that you get? Is it basically volunteer work, or is there? can you make like a side job out of it? From my understanding, again, because I haven't actually been to an event to judge, from my understanding, it is volunteer-based. Um, I don't even want to say that they're obligated to do anything. I know if I was an LGS owner, I would personally offer something up to my judges, but it, I don't think it's, it's not a mandated thing. The judge promos is the only special we pr pretty much get. And that's wizards of the coast special. Right. Which, I mean, some of those are worth a lot of money. So yeah, those are nice. Been a, a judge back when they did the judge promo, uh, Gaius cradle. Yeah, I don't want to talk oh, about Jesus that. Christ. <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about the fact that I could have bought one of those for $75 back in 2010. <laughs> well, you at least got the I, regular one. I did get the regular one for 35 though, which was the best investment I ever made in my life. So I still see, did okay. See, I don't have Gaia's Cradle. I have the creature that just recently came out from uh, 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 the Forgotten Realm set. The three drops. Yeah, the tap, guys taps for all yeah. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which, that's still pretty nice. I that's mean, for, for a standard format, nice. it's nice that they brought it back into a standard format. Oh, yeah, for or sure. At least the effect. It's nice to have the yeah, it's nice to have the effect without having to spend freaking what two grand or whatever the hell the things worth twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, something it's, crazy. It's a lot. So much money. A paycheck and a half. I can't remember when people were straining those in for moxes practically because it got so high. Oh my gosh! And then, uh, what's your favorite magic format? So my personal favorite format is EDH or Commander. Um, I just like playing singleton formats and. The fact that because of it being a hundred card format and singleton, every play is every game is going to be completely different from the last. There's no way to really have the same game every turn, every game. Oh yeah, we are also very big commander players, <laughs> so uh, you're in good company. Yeah, obviously I play commander, and then I play you know legacy and a lot of limited as well. Yeah, we, we, we play Legacy as well, but yeah, Commander's just, it, it's a fun tabletop, uh, for sure. Or for an, even in like pods or something like that, like a side, mm -hmm. uh, side event. Definitely. It's also the only one that I can almost guarantee every Magic player out there is going to have a deck for. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> At least, you know, to some degree. It might not be the best deck, but they'll no. be able to play. And then it's up to you to pilot it, either nice or mean. Yeah, I try. I try to be as fair as like. Well, most of my decks are fair. They're just aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> then there's Corey who has. Well, then there's our friend Mitch. He has mean decks, like full on. <laughs> so there's that too. I just play to win. 
<laughs> I just build the deck. I'll, I won't put infinite combos in because it's not fun for me, but if I want to win a game, I will do it. <laughs> I try to stay away from those. Infinite combos are kind of lame. <laughs> yeah, I don't tend to go for infinites. I just go for like the end gameplay ending combo. Like I don't try to infinite out just like I have these two cards on the battlefield and then right from there I just start picking players. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just fork and fork and fork and then you win. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Aetherflux Reservoir and Bolus Citadel. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, that's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to transition to our main topic here. We figured since we have a Magic Judge, we might as well talk about how to play Magic. Like, how do you actually play this game? We also have uh, a bunch of people in the Discord that are actually learning how to play right now. They downloaded Arena, which is a great resource to learn how to play oh, the yeah. basics of the game. Arena is one of the best things that Wizards could have done for the game, especially for teaching new players because it does it in a very much more easy to understand way because magic can be i mean it's an easy game to start hard to master kind of game it's just just there's so much it, it can get really complex Exactly. So we're going to go over the basics here. Um, we're going to start with how to read a magic card. Obviously, this is going to be a little weird unless you have a card in front of you. But, you know, like I said, this is another game where it's a lot easier to learn hands-on. But you can listen or listen and pull out a card if you have one at home. Or look one up on Google. Yeah, that too. Let's let, let's just uh, let's choose a card. Um, let's choose... Zero and Angel, because that's the card that's talked about the most. Okay. Yeah, so the main part of the parts of the card is obviously the name. So there you go, Sarah Angel. It's its unique identifier. Uh card may be reprinted in a magic set, but no two cards will ever have with or with the same no two cards with the same name will ever function differently. So if they reprint it, it's gonna have the same name. Uh, in most magic formats you can have four copies of a card with the same name except basic lands. When a card's name appears in its text box, the card is referring to itself, so not to any other cards with the same name. So that's the first part. Uh, then you get the mana cost of a card, uh, which is yep. the mana is the resource used to cast spells in Magic. All spells have a mana cost in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, Sarah Angel's mana cost means you must pay three mana of any kind plus two white mana to cast it. Or two planes. Now, to add real quick here, mana cost is a recent change in Magic, so if you hear someone say CMC, that's converted mana yep. cost, it's the same thing. Um, I know, I'm, I'm still... <laughs> I still I still say CMC. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. same here, I catch myself. I'm like, mana... Da, da, hmm. <laughs> mana cost, yeah, the, yes. The new, new cards will say mana value, yeah. yeah. Mana It'll cost. be the same thing as the, yeah, the Oracle text of the older cards will still say converted mana cost, so mm. you just have to... It, it means the same thing as mana cost. Correct. Uh, then you got the type line. Every card is a type. Uh, some have subtypes. So for Sarah Angel, it's a creature type, and then its subtype is Angel. So it's an Angel creature. Yep. And then this can go for anything. Uh, you can have legendary types, which means that you can only have one on your side of the field at a time. Uh, and then there's also other you know subtypes like that that you know can 
there's like some tribal things that kind of you know tend to play together like elves for example that's a big one and there's goblins and some other ones like that um so sometimes you can build a deck completely around a tribe of creatures or a tribe and, and there's even some some that even have like tribal spells where the spell is actually like that type as well which is pretty cool and real quick to add, uh, the, the legendary is a super type. Um, super type come prior to the type. So you have your legendary, then you have like your creature, and then you have your subtype, which in this case would be angel. Um, and super types are looked at in a couple of aspects. I, uh, I just went over a subject on this. I think there's five super types. Don't quote me on that, but I want to say there's five super types. Um, and snow, like snow, legendary... Um, are two major ones that you'll see a lot of, uh, especially in the recent metas. Right, yeah, because we just had this that new snow set mm-hmm. that recently came out. That Nor- that Norse one, I think, is what it was. Yeah, Caldeheim. Yeah. Caldeheim, yeah, 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 that's what it was called. Thank you. <laughs> uh, then obviously we got lands, which you use lands to generate mana. It's the primary resource of the game. When you use the mana to cast spells activate abilities each basic land makes one mana of a particular color so plains will make white islands make blue swamps make black mountains make red and forests make green you can play one land each turn and to play a land you put it from your hand onto the battlefield during either of the two main phases of your turn and the other great thing about land is you can tap it the same turn you play it unlike many other things like creatures for example which are quote-unquote sick and you can't tap them that turn but mana you can always tap correct and one other thing is uh, about the main phase things also we'll go over it later the stack the lands can only be played when the stack is clear um you can't play it while the stack is being used because it doesn't use the stack it's considered what's called a turn-based action which is a little bit more in depth but um just understand that it has to be a clean and empty stack the other main thing is mana are not spells, unlike basically everything else. So I think that's kind of why, I think, but yeah. It's the only card that can be played in a game. Yeah. Without effect. And then uh, getting a little more in-depth into lands, um, there are uh, what's called basic lands and non-basic lands. Uh, so the basic lands are what Corey just read off, your plains, your islands, your swamps. Those are just, they will always be that basic land that creates that mana type. Then there's non-basic lands that can do a whole plethora of things. They can be dual lands. They can be they can be lands that um, like can do an effect, like put plus one plus one counters on things. They can uh, they can like let you look at cards even. Like they, they can do all sorts of things. So um, a lot of the like so you, there's spells that will allow you to look for lands that we call fetch cards. Um, most of those will be for basic lands, but there are a couple that let you do non basic. All right, the uh, next thing about parts of a card is creatures. So uh, creatures fight for you. They can attack during combat, block during the combat of an opponent's turn. You can cast creature spell during your main phase and it remains on the battlefield. Creatures enter the battlefield with summoning sickness, which means you cannot attack or use an ability that has tap at its cost until it starts under your and starts your turn under your control again. And uh, you can block with a creature no matter how long it's been on the battlefield. 
So to emphasize the tap, it's the tap symbol. It's going to be the circle with the little arrow pointing to the right. Um, that's so that you know if it's a tap uh, tap effect. Now, if it doesn't have that, you can use it that turn. Yep. So for example, if there's one that has like a mana cost, uh, like like say it has like a, a, a one in a gray circle and like a, a mountain or something like that. That'd be for something like, you know, kind of like fire breathing or maybe. Um, that's something that you can play this turn that it comes in as long as there is not a tap symbol on it. And to uh, explain tap, it's basically just turning the card sideways to signify that you used it. Yep. Or, yeah, that's the dispense of, dispense of resource. Uh, another card type is an artifact. An artifact represents a machine or magical object. Uh, like creatures, you can cast artifact spell during your main phase and it remains on the battlefield unless it's destroyed, sacrificed, exiled, or otherwise removed. Most artifacts are colorless, which means you can cast them with any color of mana. Yep, artifacts do all sorts of things. Um, so they uh, not required, obviously, in a, in a deck, but um, some decks revolve around them. Some just have a couple. It depends on what you're doing. Uh, but yeah, they can be very useful. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, then we got enchantments, which are kind of similar to artifacts, except for they have a persistent magical effect that affects the game as long as they're on the battlefield. Like creatures, when you cast an enchantment during your main phase, it remains on the battlefield until it's destroyed, sacrificed, exiled, or otherwise removed as well. So, uh, okay, so yeah, enchantments can... Uh be just an enchantment that you play on the field. It's basically a board effect. Uh, there are also ones that enchant like a single creature. There are ones that can enchant a land. There's ones that can even enchant a player, such as the curses. Um, that's that's a popular one. Um, and those are, again, can do all sorts of things. Some decks revolve around them. Um, that's all th- whole thing. So to recap on the ones that we have explained um, in the broader term, those are all considered what's called permanence. Uh, creatures, lands, enchantments, and artifacts. I believe that's everything. Um, technically, Planeswalkers, too, even though we didn't talk about them. Um, those are all called permanence because those are things that are, that's quote-unquote, stick on the field until they are otherwise removed for some reason they're they're killed they're exiled whatever um so so if a card refers to a permanent that's what it's referring to all right then we got sorceries which are spells you can cast during only the main phase of your turn they have a one-time effect and you just do what the card says and then put the card in your graveyard sorceries are pretty straightforward they what they say is what they do um they don't tend to get overly complicated. Uh, and like uh, one thing I'm going to mention here, sorcery is a term that you'll also see in some text box that'll say only cast at sorcery speed. Whenever you yep. hear that, that is on your turn, uh, main phase, empty stack. Yep. Um, pretty straightforward because of that. You usually don't have to uh, deal with a stack very often with them unless you know they're countered or something. That's the main thing that might happen. Um, just because you can't really react with them. You just kind of play them, just slap them down and hope it happens. <laughs> it's basically how, so pretty, pretty simple. My style of magic, just play it and it's not going to get countered. It just happens. Nice and easy magic. I don't either. 
Uh, the next card type is Instance, which are spells that can be cast at any time, even during your opponent's turn or during combat. Like Sorceries, Instance have a one-time effect, and then you put them in your graveyard. And with that being said, Instances are probably some of the most powerful cards you'll ever have in Magic. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear jokingly statements that Magic is played at instant speed. It's because you can do you can play on your opponent's turns, essentially. Um, and that's and that's the reason why a lot of people will do things like, uh, um, like maybe fetch land if it's an instant speed one, uh, on an opponent's turn, or they'll brainstorm on an opponent's turn, or something like that, because they can. It's basically mm-hmm. you know why why do it on your turn when you can do it on their turn? You're not spending mana then anyway. <laughs> exactly, and plus then you'll have your resources renewed at the beginning of your upkeep. Yeah, yeah the other thing better. is. The other thing is if you have, like, multiple instances, well, it's good that they're instanced because you can wait and see what your opponent's going to do and react accordingly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It, sometimes you cast one that you might not care as much about and see if it gets countered, see if there's a reaction, whatever, and then you play your more crucial one and hope it sticks. And then uh, every card's going to have a text box. Some will have special abilities that are printed there. Um, some will have abilities with reminder text to explain what it does. Uh, there can also be flavor text in the text box. Uh, flavor text has no effect on gameplay. It's just a bit of story or information about the card because uh, all the magic cards come from like this background lore of story. There used to be a lot of books. Now I think they're just writing articles on magic's website about all the lore. Yeah. Magic has a lot of lore and a lot of it's pretty cool. And if you're interested in that thing, definitely worth the look, you know, I'll read and look into for sure. Um, so going back to the Sarah Angel, if, uh, if you at home still have that up, um, the text box of Sarah Angel will be the section just says Flying and Vigilance. Pretty straightforward card. Um, and it also has a bunch of uh, flavor text under it too, depending on which variation that you have. Um, and yeah, every magic card will have something in this section of the card. And usually flavor text will be italicized so you don't get it mixed up. With the, yeah, it's the it's on the pretty card. it's pretty and it's it's a smaller font too, so it's pretty mm-hmm. easy to tell the difference. See, now that you said that every every magic card will have something in its text box, I'm trying to think of a card that doesn't. <laughs> yeah, there's really technically, not technically anything. until recently land cards didn't have anything. Yeah, well, that's true. They have um, an image, but they, they, they image, at least but... have like an image yeah. of the of the type. And I guess if you consider, like, you know, the promo cards, the full art cards, they just have the name and a full artwork. Well, yeah, now you're getting getting technical. (laughs) There's another card with Oracle to it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now we're going to move into abilities. So abilities are creature... Abilities of creatures and other permits on the battlefield usually fall into one of three categories. A static ability, a triggered ability, or an activated ability. A static ability is text that's always true while it's on the battlefield. For example, uh, creatures you control with flying get plus one, plus one. You don't have to activate it. It just always is there. Yeah, once that card hits the battlefield, every flying creature gets that plus one, plus one. Yep, um, it can't be countered. It can't be uh, – you can't react to it. It just happens. you, you got to deal with it. I say static abilities don't generally use the stack. They're just there. Yep, as long as the card itself is on the battlefield. Correct. 
Or in some cases, the command zone. There are a couple of wonky cards that do that too, but generally the battlefield. But so that's case point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was like. Everything, every one of these rules can be broken by the text of a card. So, yeah. <laughs> but if, like, this is the base rules of the game. You go by, and then the card can sometimes overrule that. Uh, the next thing is uh, triggered abilities. So, triggered ability is an ability that is triggered by a specific event occurring in the game. For example, Tattered Mummy is a creature with a triggered ability that when Tattered Mummy dies, each opponent loses two life. So, each triggered ability starts with the word when, whenever, or at. You don't activate a triggered ability. It automatically triggers and goes onto the stack whenever the condition or conditions are stated in the first part of the ability are met. And triggered abilities use the stack so they can be responded yep. to. You can activate, or not activate, sorry. You can um, react, that's what I was looking for, to them. Um uh, big ones are enter the battlefield. That's that's a big or a, a lot of people call it ETBs. Um, that's a big one. You see a lot of cards that do ETBs. There's some decks that are literally built around that. You're up. Yep. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and you'll notice that all of those start with when when this enters the battlefield. So yeah. <laughs> Exactly. calls another uh, ETB trigger that yep, are another big trigger one. ability that you'll see, especially in the current meta state with uh, the return to Zendikar set that came back to life. Yeah, it was, is that uh, is that uh, what, uh, for, what's that elemental called? Omnath is that still a thing? Yeah, Omnath. Uh, not, in standard. Cool. not in standard. Oh, is, yeah, it's, it's not in standard. Else. now. Okay. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't remember. I'm, I, I don't keep track of that. <laughs> he got banned shortly after being released. I mean, rightfully so. He was overpowered. <laughs> you can play Lotus Cobra still, though. Hey, hey, that go. card's not broken. <laughs> <laughs> and Scoot Swarm. Oh, Scoot Swarm. That's, that's, that's another pet <laughs> card of mine. Just <laughs> make a million now. tokens. They had, to, they had to limit the amount of tokens you could create in Arena because of that card. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> They're like really breaking the game. <laughs> Now, that is one thing with Arena, too. If you're learning on Arena, understand that there are going to be some caps because of programming reasons, um, such as Scoot Swarm. It would normally create that many tokens, but because of Arena crashing so many times because of it, they capped it. Yep. Whereas in real life, Magic, you can play it's as still long some, as you want. It's, it's still capped at some arbitrary number, like 200 and something or something, where you're basically going to win the game anyway by that point. Yeah, usually, <laughs> usually it, you're not going to get to that point <laughs> no, in, a, in a normal case. That's the extreme cases. All right, and then the last type of ability is an activated ability, which is an ability you can activate whenever you want, like casting an instant, as long as you could pay the cost. Each activated ability is formatted in the same way, the cost colon the effect. For example, Inspired Sphinx is a creature with an activated ability. Create a 1-1 colorless stopped creature token with flying. So some activated abilities contain the tap symbol in their cost, meaning that you tap the card to activate it. Others use mana, so you pay that amount of mana. And you can't activate this kind of ability with tap if it, um, it has just come into play or if it's already tapped. Yep. So that, that's a thing where if it's just a mana ability in a colon, you can do it whenever you want. Um, but if it is, if it has a tap symbol on it, then you have to wait until it's no longer sick or quote unquote sick. Um, and of course, active abilities can also, you can also react to them. Uh, so the big thing about those is, uh, look for the, basically you look for the colon. That's basically all of them will have that. 
So that's a pretty good indicator that it's an activated ability and not one of the other two. All right, and then the last part on every creature card is in the lower right-hand corner, there's a box that shows power and toughness. The power is the first number, the amount of damage it will deal in combat, and the toughness is the second number, the amount of damage it must be dealt to it to destroy it. Yep, so uh, looking back again at Sarah Angel, uh, you'll see that it has a 4 and a 4, so it's a 4-4 power toughness. So that means that when it attacks, it'll deal 4 damage to whatever it's attacking, be it a Planeswalker, a player, or a creature. And then it has four toughness, which means after it takes four or more damage, it or right four or more damage, it will die. Correct. Or death touch, which is a uh, corner case. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing on the card is the expansion symbol. It tells you what symbol the magic, or which set the magic card is from, depending on the symbol. And so each set has its own distinct symbol. And the color of the symbol tells you it's rarity. So I believe orange or red is mythic. I think it's mm-hmm. orange, right? Yep. That's, yeah, then, it's, it's like a reddish orange. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, gold is rare, silver is uncommon, and black is common. Granted, the some of the very old sets did not have these color coordinations, but every new set does. Yeah, some of them don't even have a symbol if we're going way far enough back. So then you just have to know. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, I used to know the symbols really well until recently. <laughs> now I, there's too many sets out now. I don't know anymore. They're also starting to look a lot alike. <laughs> yeah, that too. Like I'm, the the Sarah Angel I'm looking at is from Dominaria. I honestly couldn't even tell you what that symbol looked like. It's like, oh, I guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas before, like when I was like actually into standard, I knew like RTR had like the like the prong looking things, and and Innistrad had like the kind of pointy crown looking thing and but now i i I don't know anymore (laughs) yeah just like sorting through cards when you get to like you know the modern master sets or the m sets where they're all really similar and you're just like oh wait this is in the wrong pile when you're sorting cards this is in the wrong pile (laughs) this is the wrong i got an m20 with m21 yeah m20 m21 it's like oh the the master sets and all those those really get me because those Mm -hmm. they all look the same (laughs) every single one same with the dual decks because like there's just some random symbol for like thirty. Oh yeah, the dual decks exist, and you're like, okay, <laughs> I guess it's a dual deck. <laughs> and you got the random premium decks, and there's all sorts of weird prints. The commander, commander done. sets. Yeah, 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 those two. And then it's not. Let's not forget about uh um 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 oh, crap. Uh, what what's the what's that weird thing with uh with the uh you're the emperor or whatever it's called uh what. Or the monarch. What's what's the uh, what's the set with them? What's like oh, the, mon- I know the monarch? Set, I know oh, conspiracy. About. Yeah. Then there's the conspiracy sets, which are a whole other thing too. So. The nice thing is with the newer sets too; they at least put the abbreviation of the set name in the bottom left of the card now. Yeah, that helps a lot <laughs> because mm-hmm. otherwise I wouldn't know. All right, so uh, James, you want to go over the play areas of what your play area is while you're playing here. All right, I'd love to. So, um, first of all, you'll have um, your you'll have your deck of cards that you start with, and that was called your library. Um, this is your draw pile, which remains face down throughout the game. You lose the game if you are forced to draw a card, but you cannot because your library is out of cards, which um, Mill is 
of quote unquote milling is like when you're forced to basically rip a card and put it into your into your, what's called your graveyard, which I'll get to later. Um, um, so once basically that's a deck that that's built around making you draw through your library, and then that's how they win because that is a way you can lose. Isn't that your favorite strategy stack? Is making people lose by not having yep. any cards? Very much. So. Well, not necessarily. Sometimes I mill myself out and went off that. <laughs> Every now and then. Oh, there there are decks that do that. Mm-hmm. Which is again back to the uh the card can sometimes change rules. <laughs> yep. Uh next up, um, you'll have your hand. So when you draw, um you, uh, you start the game uh, by drawing a hand of seven cards. If you have more than seven cards in your hand as your turn ends, you must discard down to seven. So your hand is what, uh, in pretty much every card game ever, that's pretty universal. Um, that's what you have, and then you keep it face down. Um, that's only for you to know. I know there's some games where that's not the case. Um and then you do have a hand size limit of seven cards. Um, so if you go over seven, you're able, you are allowed to have more than seven cards during your turn. Um, so, like, say if you draw a bunch of cards during your turn, if you have enough, if you have enough mana to um, um, to play them, that's okay. But then at the end of the turn, you have what's called your discard step, or then you are forced to go back down to seven cards if you are over seven cards. Right, and then, uh, Stack, do you want to explain how you mulligan? So a mulligan is whenever you start your game, you're going to draw your first, uh, your opening hand. Uh, You have an opportunity to look at your hand. If for some reason you do not like your opening hand, um, you'll put your hand back into the library, reshuffle, and redraw a seven. Now, after you look at the seven, you decide whether you want to keep it or not. If you decide to keep, you must remove one card from your hand and put it at the bottom of your library. Yes, that card is known, so that is no longer part of the random part of your library until a shuffle effect later on in the game. So that is important to note for events. But other than that, that is a mulligan for every time you mulligan or basically reset your hand, you're going to lose one extra card. Yep. And of course, this has been something that's been changed a couple times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So yes, uh, mulliganing can be very helpful. It's uh, um, that's that's kind of a thing that you get to know better once you know how your deck plays. Some decks mulligan better than other ones do. So it's kind of a you get to know if if you really can like like if you only have a couple lands. Well, if you're playing like an aggro deck or something like that, you might be able to get away with that. Whereas if you're playing something more controlly, you might want more lands in your hand because you have more expensive stuff to play. Exactly. All right. So moving on, we have what's called the battlefield. Now this uh, pertains to basically the big area in front of you and your opponent. Um, so you and your opponent share the battlefield. Cards that go onto the battlefield, including lands, creatures, artifacts, and enchantments, those are permanents, Instances and sorceries are never on the battlefield. They only hit the stack. Uh, you can arrange your permanence however you want. Uh, we recommend putting your lands closest to you. That's actually a rule now. Um, but your opponent must be able to see all of them. I'm pretty sure that there, there was actually a ruling about that at 
some point, wasn't there, about where you have to have your lands closest to you? I thought somebody had called on that. It was more for the Dryad Arbor that looks like a forest. And they said you have oh. to play that with your creatures and not your next to your lands. Like some people put their artifacts next to their lands yeah. and stuff. Because I've been someone in that. the tournament was able to block with it without them realizing that it was actually a creature because the promo one actually looks like a forest. It looks like a forest. So that specific yeah. one you have to play in your creature. So. It's literally it's like literally a forest with a one one on the bottom of it. Yeah. Basically. Now one permanent we keep skimming over um is the planeswalker that is a permanent that we that I, it's not touching on and I'm not under, uh, I I I know where the resource came from but a planeswalker is another permanent that does uh, reside on the battlefield. Um and we can probably touch on that a little bit later on. Yeah, we can maybe hit at the end. Uh, I'm not sure if it's in this list or not. I actually haven't read through it. <laughs> uh, so we'll find out. Um, but yeah, Battlefield, it's it's basically the, the playing field that you are playing on. Um, the stack isn't exactly shown. It's more of a kind of... You kind of keep track of it as you play spells on top of each other, basically. Um, generally, it's just your spells hit the graveyard as you play them, which brings me to the next uh, location, the graveyard. Um, so this would be your discard pile uh, in a typical other card game. Um, creatures that die, artifacts and enchantments that are destroyed, and cards you discard from your hand go to your graveyard. The cards in your graveyard should always be face up, and anyone can look at them at any time. Each player has their own graveyard. Also, I'm pretty sure they have to be kept in order, because there are cards that specify order of graveyard as well. Since the Ravnica set, I can't remember exactly which one, but since one of the Ravnica sets that is not necessarily true, you can look at your opponent's graveyard, you cannot change your opponent's order, but you can change your order of your graveyard. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I, I know like when it comes to like, Dredge, that was like a big deal where you had to make sure they were kept in order. Uh, it's, it's only meant for like reoccurring nightmare, but they might have errated it on how it works, I don't know. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I, I know that well, at least that used to be a thing. Maybe it's like, like, like it's from the modern set yeah. to current there was like two old cards that listed return the top card of your graveyard to play. Yeah, I, I know there was I know there was something, but they, they might have changed the the oracle text on that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I can post the ruling in the Discord if someone has any questions on that. Yeah, those are kind of edge cases, anyways. Right. So that's not a very common thing. Um. So uh, next up, we have what's called the exile zone. Um, so if a spell or ability exiles a card, that card is set apart from the rest of the game. Cards in exile are normally face up. Um, so generally, cards that are exiled can no longer be played unless there's a card that specifically says exile it, and then you can cast it. There's like a couple fringe cases where that's the case, but generally, when something's exiled, it is gone. And also note that it is face up unless of an effect says otherwise. Yep. Right. So any cards that exile become public knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is face up and it is separate from the graveyard. That is a big thing because the graveyard and the exile zone are two very different things. Most a lot of times, um, cards that are in the graveyard are able to be brought back with something like, uh, like entomb or, or not, not entomb that puts it in there. Um, like something like reanimate or something like you know something like that where it can come back. But generally, if it's exiled, it's gone. So they need to be kept separate for that reason. 
So now let's go into some game actions. So this is things you can do during a game, during your turn. Um, so let's jump into that here. So the first thing is tapping and untapping. So to tap a card, you turn it sideways. Uh, you do this with a land to make mana. When you attack with a creature, you tap it. When you activate ability as a tap symbol, you do it. Or if part of a cost is tap this permanent or when a permanent. And then when a permanent is tapped, you can't tap it again until it's been untapped when your turn begins. So basically tapping is just showing the use of a resource. Um, magic is based around resource building and res resource growth. Um, and tapping it just shows that it's been expended for the remainder of your turn. Yep. And of course, there are some cases where cards don't have to be tapped, such as Vigilance. That is a big one where attacking it causes it not to be tapped. Um, of course, that doesn't mean that you can attack with it again or something like that. It just means that it can be used to block as well. That's kind of the main bonus from that. So a couple of fringe cases where you can kind of get around tapping, but generally... Um, it's something you see a lot, especially with land use and with activations, such as activated abilities of artifacts and things like that. So, for example, if you tap a creature with, that has an activated ability, that means you cannot attack with it and you will also not be able to block with it because you have to tap it to use that ability. Correct. Next thing you can do is you can cast a spell. So to cast a spell, you pay its mana cost, located in the upper right-hand corner, by tapping lands to make the amount of mana which that spell requires. For example, if you're casting Sarah Angel, you would tap three basic lands of any color and two planes. Uh, once the spell has been cast, one of two things happen. If it's an instant or sorcery, you follow the instructions on the card, put the card in your graveyard. If the spell is a creature, artifact, or enchantment, you would put the card in, on the table in front of you. It is now in the battlefield. Cards on the battlefield are called permanent permanents. I can't even say that word, apparently. To <laughs> differentiate them from instances and sorceries, which are never on the battlefield. Right. So the main thing is sorceries and spells, or <laughs> sorceries and spells. Sorceries and instants hit the stack, and then... Even it, whether they're successful or not, they hit the battle. Uh, the, the God, I can't talk. They, they hit the, the graveyard. graveyard. Yes. <laughs> so, and every card except for a land in your hand is going to be classified as a spell. Yep, lands are and the that, only things not spells. And that's something to understand because if you're playing blue, counter target spell is anything that is cast from the hand. Yeah, the main the main rule with mana is mana abilities uh, cannot be countered. Period. Basically, so you cannot counter a land, and you cannot counter a land activation. Mm -hmm. All right, and then the next thing you do is attack and block. So the most common way to win the game is to attack with your creatures and take out your opponent's twenty life if you're playing standard or a one v one game, and then if you're playing commander, it'd be forty life. Um, if a creature that is attacking an opponent isn't blocked, it deals damage equal to its power to that opponent. Uh, so the middle phase of every turn is the combat phase. In the combat phase, you choose which of your creatures will attack, and you choose which opponents they will attack. So you tap your creatures to show that they're attacking. Your opponents, so the defending player, then chooses who will block, if any. Um, tapped creatures cannot be declared as blockers. Once all blockers have been chosen, each creature, both the attacker and the blocking creature, simultaneously Deal damage equal to its power, uh, the number on the left side of the card, 
um, to each other. And then attacking creature that isn't blocked deals damage to the player it's attacking. Attacking creature that is blocked deals damage to that creature or creature or multiple creatures that are blocking it. And if damage is dealt to your opponent, they lose that much life. If one of your attacking creatures is blocked by multiple creatures, the attacker gets to decide how to divide the combat damage among those two creatures. You must assign at least enough damage to the first blocking creature to destroy it before you can assign damage to the second one, and so on. If a creature is dealt damage equal to or greater than its toughness over the course of a single turn, whether it be from combat damage, spells, combination of both, the creature is destroyed, goes to the graveyard. If a creature takes damage that isn't enough to destroy it on a single turn, that creature will stay on the battlefield and the damage will wear off at the end of the turn. Right. And of course, there's, a, again, a couple edge cases where uh, things can vary. But generally, that's how it works. And, and I, uh, looking further on, um, whenever we go over the steps for combat, that we'll uh, go definitely into some more detail on exactly what tacking and blocking happens, like damage being yep. dealt all at once and stuff like that. There are um, multiple phases, and <laughs> I read ahead to make sure that we talked about that. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and also, there there is also uh, abilities to redirect, which we will also get into that, um, actually, in the next section here. Um, but generally, it's if you have a creature, if they have a blocker, you have to go through that blocker to eventually get to them. Um, of course, there's other abilities, such as trample, which helps with that, which means that your creature, if, if your creature has a greater power than their blocker's toughness, it can what's called trample over it and then hit the hit the player again. That's another ability edge case, uh, and there's other ones that you know we have to kind of mitigate because magic has lots of different keywords <laughs> that change things. Yeah, one other thing too, I believe this is correct. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Stack, but you can also choose to attack if they have a planeswalker or attack that instead of the player, correct? I was going to say that whenever we got to the tax step. Mm-hmm. So whenever whenever you're assigning attackers, uh, the person assigning, the person whose turn it is, can choose between the player or the planeswalker that is on the battlefield. Um, but that is uh, that's only if a planeswalker is on the battlefield. Now, if you attack the planeswalker and there's extra damage, it does not spill over to the player by any means, unless of an effect says otherwise. Yeah. That would generally be a, a creature ability that would do that. Mm-hmm. There's no keyword that I know of that does that. There's not. No. It's a, yeah. I think it's a set ability. Yep. All right, so now we're going to start getting into the uh, parts of Magic where people start to lose how to play the game here. Because, you know, the first part, playing some lands, tapping them, playing the card, seems simple enough. But now we're going to get into it. Uh, <laughs> so targeting. So targeting, uh, some spells use the word target to describe something. The spell or ability will affect, so you must choose all targets for a spell when you cast it, and for an ability to, ability when it triggers or when you activate it. If you can't meet the targeting requirements, you can't cast the spell or use the ability. For example, if a spell has destroyed target creature, but there's no creatures on the battlefield, you cannot cast that spell because it has no valid targets. If a spell deals damage to any target, you could choose any creature or player or planeswalker, if the player has one, as a target for that spell. Once you choose the targets, you can't change your mind later. When the spell or ability resolves, it checks that the targets are still legal. That is, if they're still there and still match the requirements of the spell or ability. If it isn't legal, the spell or ability can't affect it. If none of the targets are legal, the spell or ability does nothing at all. 
that's what we call fizzling. Um, mm-hmm. That's when the spell just you 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 cast it. You still you still have to pay the mana for it and the mana cost, but then it just it goes away. It goes on the graveyard. Yeah, and, and the, re- the that reason happens. why that's emphasized <laughs> is because there are some effects like bounce cards where uh, in response you, a player may bounce that creature back to hand. Now it's not a legal target. Yep. Yes, it was legal when the card was cast, but it's now no longer a legal target. So it comes back to your hand, and that's where the stack kind of comes in, which is, I think, the next step we're going into. Yeah, that's the next thing we're going to talk about. The other thing real quick about targeting, whenever it says target, if it says pick multiple targets, you cannot pick the same target for the same effect. Now, if it says target, 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 for each time it says target, you may pick the same permanent to target. Yeah, so, so that's uh, so I think a really good example of that is the card Decimate. Because Decimate is you have to pick a target, uh, if I remember this right, a target land, a target enchantment, a target artifact, and a target creature. So to be able to legally play that card, all of those have to be on the field, if I remember that right. Yes, correct. Which is why that is a very difficult card to play because you have to have everything for it to work. The other, uh, the other thing, the reason why I mentioned that is there's some cards that will say um, target three creatures or target up to three creatures. You can't target the, and deal like one damage. You can't target the same creature three times because it only has the instance of target on the card one time. Now, if it said target, uh, target creature deal one damage and then it said target creature deal one damage again on the card, you could target it twice because it's two instances of targeting. Yeah. Basically, you have to look to see if it says the same text twice because mm-hmm. that's why they do that. Because that means you can target the same one twice. Yeah. Um, also, uh, I'm not sure if this is uh, talked about later on, um, but I just want to touch on this. Uh, there is also what's called... So there's this is a target spell. There's also what's called, quote-unquote, global spells, and those are your board wipes, as they're called. So your Wrath of God, your uh, Damnation, things like that, and that targets everything. Um, not necessarily. It doesn't target. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, it doesn't target. It just it it just does its effect and mm-hmm. and they go away. Um, the the main thing about the global spells is that like things like protection and things like that don't count toward that. Yep. Whereas they count toward a spell that targets it, like progenitus. So yeah. So if it says it has protection from everything, it doesn't technically have protection from globals. <laughs> All right, and then the really complicated area here is the stack. This is this is where we hit the deep end, boys. <laughs> so the stack is a game zone shared by all players, like the battlefield, where spells and abilities wait to resolve. Resolving a spell or ability simply means that effect happens. So using the stack, when you cast a spell or an ability, it doesn't resolve right away. It goes on the stack. Spells and abilities remain on the stack until both players choose not to cast any new spells or activate any new abilities. Trigger abilities will also go on the stack until they resolve. When you have finished putting the spells and abilities on the stack, priority then passes to the next player in turn order who may want to add a spell or ability of their own in response. Subsequent players, including you, can then respond to that player's response and so on. The result becomes a stack of things waiting to resolve. Spells and abilities remain on the stack until all players choose not to cast new spells or activate new abilities. A general rule of thumb for Spells and abilities on the stack is resolved one by one, beginning with the last one put on the stack first. So the stack can get very convoluted. Uh, let's say it's my turn and I cast uh, uh, 
Saren Angel, and um, Poker over here decides to counter it with a counterspell. Um, so what's going to happen is my Saren Angel is on the stack. His counterspell is now on the stack on above my Saren Angel targeting my Saren Angel. Listen, uh, say in response, I cast uh, another counterspell on top of his counter to counter his counter. What way it's going to resolve is my counterspell is going to counter his counterspell, and then Saren Angel is going to resolve because now his counterspell is no longer on the stack. If I remove my counterspell and never cast it, his counterspell would remove my Saren Angel, which means nothing goes on the battlefield. The stack can get definitely convoluted. That's kind of a basic gist, but especially once you start getting into the triggers, it can get very, very confusing. It can the get best, really bad. <laughs> yeah, the best thing to do whenever doing with the, with the stack, I know a lot of players like myself, I have a notepad, especially for stack-related issues. I start writing down what effects go where, and then, as, as he mentioned, you resolve them backwards. So the last one that was put onto the stack is the first one to resolve. The stack will always keep passing priority as it resolves until the bottom of the stack, and then it's no longer a stack. Um, the only time that is not the case is if it is a, a split second. Split second ends yeah. everything going on the it stack. Just completely, it completely bypasses it, basically. Mm-hmm. And it shuts the stack off. Everything resolves in order, and it resets from there. Yep. Uh, yeah, there are, aren't there also some cards that basically make the stack completely go away? Or is that just split second that I'm thinking about? Split second. Yeah, okay. Um, well, there are some corner cases like Discontinuity that came out in Core 21. Yeah, I thought, the I thought there was... I thought, yeah, I thought, there, yeah, I thought there was something that was basically just said it's your turn ends. <laughs> yeah, if you end the turn, you remove everything off the stack. Yeah, yes. so there's some extreme cases where you can shut the stack off before it completely resolves, but generally, that's how it will play out. Mm-hmm. There are also some cards like um, what, what's uh, what is it? Counterflux? Is that what it's called? Or what, what's what's the card I'm thinking of that like counters? All spells or something like that. Um, think I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of the name of it. I can't. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it. But it counters yeah. multiple spells on the stack. It, yeah. yeah so it in that case, basically all the spells. Yeah. In that case, you would want to wait until you know your opponent played one, and then if you're in like a three-player game, the next opponent plays one, and then in response, and then you respond, getting rid of both of them. Yeah. Um, also, uh, there are a couple things that counter. Um, Activate abilities such as Stifle. That's a that's a big one from back in the old days. Um, that can complicate things. And then basically any storm decks uh, can be really hairy. <laughs> they tend to thrive at the stack. Yeah. Yeah, you have to know that very well to play that deck. You have to know how to play the stack to play Storm. It's just how like I I've been playing Magic for a very long time. I am not comfortable playing Storm. I I will screw it up. <laughs> Grape shot's a great one to learn with. Yeah, that makes sense. Because yeah, it it gets very complicated very fast. Like you literally have to have dice with Storm counters on it to know what the hell you've even done. Just because mm-hmm. you forget. Right, and so in live events, the whole reason we have judges is because this is complicated, and you can you know just call for a judge, raise your hand, and they come over and give you a ruling on how it's supposed to work. Yeah, and usually explain it why a certain thing is a certain way. They may not do it right then and there, but they'll be able to answer the questions on why it's a certain way. <laughs> right. 
Whereas Arena kind of does all that for you and gives you the opportunity to do it. I mean, obviously, uh, I don't know if it's all coded correctly, but, you know, if you find a bug, you do. (laughs) (laughs) If you find a bug on Arena, don't be afraid to report it. Oh, definitely, because I'm sure they happen. Mm, Oh, yeah. (laughs) That coding is extremely complicated. And it gets Uh, more more complicated with every set. Exactly. last, Last little bit I have here from the stack is... To respond, so responding to spells and abilities when you cast a spell or activate an ability doesn't resolve right away. Goes on the stack. Spells remain on the stack until all players choose not to cast anything else. Um, trigger abilities also go on the stack till they resolve. Each player gets an opportunity to cast an instant spell or activity in response to any spell or ability that's on the stack. If a player does decide to respond, that spell goes on the stack on top of whatever thing is there. When all players pass decline, that's when it you know moves on. Um, so basically, you can't. Someone can't just throw something into play. They have to say like, "Oh, I'm casting this," and give you the opportunity to say, "Yeah, it's good," or "No, I'm going to counter that," or whatever. And this is also why you have to also announce your phases, uh, because that can also you can also react to that as well. So you have to say like, "I'm." You can't just be like, "Oh, I'm going to attack you with my creatures." Like, no, you have to say, "I'm entering combat." Because they can be like, oh, I'm going to board wipe, you know? One thing I've, I've, I've practiced myself into is anytime I cast a spell, especially if it's an important spell for me, I always say I am attempting to cast. It gives them the opportunity to respond. It lets them know that this is entering the battlefield into the stack first and go from there. So that is uh, whenever you're playing Paper Magic, try to teach yourself or try to work in the wording of I'm attempting to cast. It'll definitely make it a little bit easier for, A, if your opponent starts doing it, to you to know, okay, I need to check for response, or vice versa. Yep, I've noticed while playing in a lot of tournaments, the more clear and concise I am about what I'm doing, the more the opponent tends to do that, and then you have a much more clean uh, game of Magic where both players know what the hell is going on. Yeah, because especially like from uh, my main legacy deck that I play, I play Death and Taxes, and that has a lot to do with basically reacting to things. So I absolutely hate it when people try to gloss over, especially phase changes, because that deck relies on those a lot. It's just like, you can't do that. (laughs) I need to be able to react. Now, one other thing about the triggers, the triggers go on the stack when the threshold is met. Um, now, if triggers on my side and the opponent's side happen to go on the stack um, at the same time, it is active player, non-active player. So active player would be the person's turn. Non-active player would be your opponent. Um, those go on the stack at the time they meet the threshold to activate. Oh. Yep. Uh, and a good another example of that would be like something like Suspend. Mm-hmm. Um, when you cast, because uh, for anyone who doesn't know, suspend is basically you pay for something that's actually not technically in play, it has time counters on it, and you have to wait a certain number of turns for it to actually come into play. So you can't react to when they suspend it. You have to react to when it's going to hit the battlefield out of being suspended. Yeah, because suspend essentially goes to exile. Um, foretells a similar concept. Yeah, which exactly. is a recent, which is a recent effect that you'll see um, in the modern meta. So now we get into the timing of the stack here. So here's a, a scenario that uh, Wizards gives here. Uh, so say your opponent casts Shock, targeting your two-two creature. Shock deals two damage for those that don't know. 
So you respond to the shock cast by casting Titanic Growth. Your Titanic Growth goes on top of shock, and your opponent and you both decline to do anything else. So then Titanic Growth goes first, making your creature a 6-6, and then shock resolves doing two damage to it, which means your creature lives. Now, if you cast it the other way, so if the sh- so say Titanic Growth cast first, then you respond with that with shock, that means shock will resolve first this time is dealing two damage to two two, so it's dead before the four four plus even takes effect. So that can no longer resolve because the creature is not there. Yeah. So then it just fizzles. So that's where playing your cards at the right time can be a difference too. Timing is extremely important, and this is something that you will learn as you play the game. Uh, it yes. took me a very long time to get my head around that. <laughs> Especially if you're playing against blue players, pay attention to their mana. Yeah, if they have mana open, they can probably do something, even if it's only a couple. All right, so now we're going to the parts of a turn, so what you're going to do on your turn here. So each turn proceeds in the same sequence. When you enter a new step or phase, any triggered abilities that happen during that step or phase trigger, find that part on the stack. The active player, the player whose turn it is, gets to start casting spells and activated abilities, then the other player in turn order. When all players decline, move on. Mana empties at each phase. That is something to keep in mind. So anytime that you change phases, if you tap mana to do something, it ends at the end of the... It goes away. Your mana pool empties at the end of that phase. And the one thing I was going to add is there is no breaks once the match starts. These phases will continue to roll through until the end of the game. Correct. Yep. So the first phase is the beginning phase, which... Um, starts with the untap step, so you untap all of your tap permanents. On the first turn of the game, you don't have any, so you would just skip the step. Um, and then upkeep. Uh, during the upkeep, players can cast instants or activate abilities. Occasionally, there's a lot of effects. It's like the beginning of your upkeep, do this, so those triggers would happen. Uh, then is your draw step. You draw a card from your library, and you must do this, even if you don't want to. Uh, the player who goes first in a two-player game skips the draw, to make up for the advantage of going first. Uh, players can then cast instants and activate abilities. Anything about right. the beginning step there? So that's generally your uh, typical uh, beginning step. Um, lots of things can happen depending on what deck you're playing. Um, a lot of times the upkeep uh, has to do with a lot of times can be drawing cards, uh, sometimes getting land. Depends on the scenario. In a lot of cases, you'll hear in matches people say in, like, abbreviation, untap, upkeep, draw. Um, and that's usually bypassing the upkeep because most places, some people don't tend to play upkeep phases. Yeah. Um, it's specific, very specific, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, as a death and taxes player, um, I rely very heavily on the untap step because I can react to that to tap down, or to tap down their man, or what is it? upkeep step that's what it is so they can untap their mana and then on their upkeep i can tap it back down with like a port or something like that so mm-hmm. then they don't have mana they can't use that one um which again is why it's very important to uh announce phases even if it is you know a lot of cases upkeep doesn't exactly matter um right is that everything also yeah, keep in mind the upkeep is the first time in a game where priority is passed Right. Um, so one thing I always do is I do, I always say untap up, keep draw at the beginning of my turn just because, okay, untap. So I remember I have to untap all my stuff. 
upkeep. Yeah. Give yeah. my opponent a chance to do something, and if I have any trigger there, that would happen. And then draw. I have to draw a card. Plus, you want to draw a card, so you have more options. <laughs> it is also very important not to forget to untap, because you can choose not to untap things, and that is bad, usually. <laughs> So moving on, uh, we have what's called the first main phase, or uh, as some cards call it, the pre-combat main phase. Um, you can cast any number of sorceries, instants, creatures, artifacts, enchantments, and planeswalkers, and you can activate abilities. You can play a land during this phase, only one, um, but remember that you can play only... Oh, sorry, <laughs> I just read over it. Uh, your opponent can cast instants and... Yeah, your opponent can cast instance and activate abilities as well during this phase. Generally, this is when you do stuff in a turn. Now, the other thing too here, um, this is the only phase where you have what's uh, a, a saga event, which is a turn-based action. If someone happens to have one of these saga enchantments on the battlefield, before anything else happens, those will take place at this point. Yep. That's... Uh... The, the, you're seeing a lot more of those nowadays, so that's important to remember. Mm-hmm. There are a lot there's, of decks that use those. I want to say uh, there's a recent set that had it, um, Kalheim, and I think it's been pretty... I think also there was another set I think had them as well. I can't remember which set recently. But it's been pretty consistent in the meta for the last couple of years. Uh, then next we have what's called the combat phase. Uh, this is uh, kind of the main middle phase of each person's turn. Um, so this is this is kind of where the action happens generally. Uh, so first you have what's called the beginning of combat step. This is when you have to announce that you are moving into combat because people can react to that again, remember. Um, players can cast instruments and active abilities during this time. Then you have the time where you declare your attackers. You have your declare attacker step. Uh, you decide which, if any, you don't have to, of your untapped creatures will attack and which player or planeswalker they will attack. This taps the attacking creatures, unless they have vigilance. Uh, players can then cast instants and activate abilities. With, with combat, uh, I meant to jump in earlier, this is the most complicated phase in Magic. Yes, um, definitely. Because there's a lot that goes on. You have at the beginning of combat triggers. A lot of those have a resolution that happen at the end of combat. Some don't. Um, but that's where I'm going to say read the card and read the details on the effect because that's where those are going to come into play. Um, and on the declare attacker step, the declare attackers is a turn-based action that ha- that cannot be countered, that cannot be responded to. It's after the attacks have been declared that's when priority will pass to be able that's when something can happen it can't be happening while they declare the attacker right and if you have a creature that says when this creature attacks that's going to trigger as soon as you attack there yep as soon as you declare it as an attacker that's when that trigger will go on the stack yep uh very important to uh, read cards because lots of things happen during these phases and it's very important to know which part of the combat phase they happen in because some are very specific and it, one of the jokes in magic is magic is held on by commas and periods this is, <laughs> that, 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 that's very true in. yes that's extremely true <laughs> yeah so then after you declare your attackers the opponent is going to well as you know the declare blocker step where your opponent is going to decide which if any of their untapped creatures will block your attacking creatures. 
if multiple creatures block a single attacker, you get to order the blockers to show which will receive damage first and which will be second and so on. Then players can respond to the blockers. Yep. And this is very crucial, especially if you're dealing with certain um, certain effects, which we'll go into whenever we get to the combat step. But to line up your opponent, like if your opponent blocks your two, uh, your creature with two, uh, with two, like let's say you have a death toucher that's a two two, and he blocks with two four fours. Again, you only have to deal with lethal damage, so you would only have to declare one damage. It doesn't matter the order. But let's just say he block. You have a four four that you're swinging with with no death touch, and he blocks with a two. A uh, two, three, and then a four, four. You can decide to kill the four, four or the three, three. So you get to decide essentially which one gets to be killed on that defensive step. Um, again, it's not dead right then. It's whenever the damage is dealt, but you get to decide essentially the outcome of that creature. Yep, and then uh, that's uh, that is discerned here in the combat damage step, which is what happens after. Uh, all, all attackers and blockers are declared. Um, each attacking or blocking creature that's still on the battlefield that is alive uh, assigns its combat damage to the defending player if it's attacking that player and wasn't blocked. To a planeswalker if it's attacking that planeswalker and wasn't blocked. To the creature or block, or sorry, to the creature or creatures blocking it, or to the creature it's blocking. If an attacking creature is blocked by multiple creatures, you divide its combat damage among them by assigning at least enough damage to the first blocking creature to destroy it, then by assigning damage to the second one, and so on. Once players decide how the creatures they control will deal their combat damage, the damage is all dealt at the same time. Players can then cast instances or activate abilities. Yeah, so one of the things with combat is you gotta know when to do stuff. So if you play like say I, play, I attack and I play my titanic growth during the attack step well then my creature's four four bigger but the guy know the guy blocking knows about that because he hasn't declared blockers yet but if I wait till after he declares blockers and the declare blocker step then I can pump whichever creature is going to die to save it the other thing too on the defensive side um this is one thing I was gonna mention if I declare a blocker with a creature um, that I know is going to die. After the declare blocker steps, doesn't say it has an activated ability that says sacrifice this draw a card. If I sack it at that point in time and draw the card, that creature is still not going to go through and attack me because it's still being assigned to block or still being assigned to deal damage to the blocking creature, even though it's no longer a target. Um, so it basically physical damage. I was going to say that as well. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, uh, also the, the, the kind of mention it here, uh, you can double and triple block, uh, of, say they have like a big fat 10, 10 or something on the battlefield, which, uh, 10 damage and magic is a ass ton of damage. That's half your life total in a normal game. Um, so you want to be able to, like, you want to kill that thing. Cause let's say you have a bunch of like smaller tokens, you can take all your tokens and just throw them all at it and it will kill them. If you can deal the enough damage, it'll also kill all of your creatures, but it will also go away. Yeah. It's like that, uh, cardboard crack, uh, comic. Oh, oh Emma cool. It's like, Oh no, not 15 squirrels, 15 squirrels, 15 one one squirrels, 15, 15, 15, 15, my one weakness. <laughs> Whole bunch of I love that man. so much. <laughs> just... 
that's where magic has some humor for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, a lots to look into in the combat phase. Uh, it's the, the by far the most complex phase and the one that, that a lot of a lot of the gameplay happens in for sure. Now, one other thing to keep in mind, too, there are some effects, and it's very common, um, and it's the reason why it's called an evergreen effect, uh, such as first strike and double strike. With first strike and double strike, that means the combat damage step happens twice. You have your first combat damage step, which is where first strike and double strike damage, first of the double strike damage happens. Anyone, Any creature that does not have that ability does not deal damage. Any creature that has that ability deals damage at this point in time. And then you have your regular combat step where regular damage is dealt. Um, that is a very common effect. Um, that's why I feel like it's important to mention. Um, yeah, now. first strike is very, very common. Yeah, how I always think of it is first strike kind of just wins any tie, so they would need a yeah. higher than its power by one. Yeah, basically the only I, way... That's my cheat sheet on how it works, but... Basically, <laughs> the only thing that's going to kill a first strike creature is another first strike creature or double strike creature, generally, in most cases. Or something that's... You know, or something bigger. that's bigger than it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying again, that's very prominent in this current meta, especially in red. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, then that uh, ends the combat phase. Um, uh, after all is said and done, before the second main phase happens, uh, activated abilities and instances can be cast again. Now, also yep. keep in mind there are some corner case effects that say while you're in combat, you can do this effect. The end of combat step is that combat step. Um, one common one that you'll see in Commander is ninjutsu. At your end yeah, of that's combat a weird step, one. you can still ninjutsu in a creature. Even though it's already past the turn or past the combat dealing damage, you can still ninjutsu in it. Um, so that, that is something to pay attention to is at the end of combat is still the combat phase. Yep. And then after combat, we have the second main phase, uh, which is just like your first main phase. You can cast any type of spell and activate any abilities. Your opponent can cast instants and activate abilities. And you can play a land during this phase if you didn't play one during the first main phase. So a lot of times, experienced players will attempt to attack first and just not do much in the first main phase and do everything in the second main phase to uh, see how their opponent reacts to the attack. Especially in the late game. Uh, because uh, a lot of times, like especially in Commander, because we're all big Commander players, um, a lot of times a lot of players will skip their first main phase and go right into combat so that an opponent doesn't like wipe the board <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, correct. And one other thing, too, uh, that wasn't mentioned in either one of the phases, but I'm going to bring it up now, Flameswalker's abilities can only be played once per turn. So you can play it either in the main, first main or the second main, but only once, just like lands. Yeah, and again, we'll we'll get into Planeswalkers a little later because we kind of haven't... We've kind of glossed over that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes, uh, uh, the uh, loyalty counters can only be added once per turn, either first or second main phase, not both. Right, and one one uh, weird thing I do sometimes to psych people out is sometimes I'll play like my whole game in the first main phase, and then I won't play something, and then I'll switch and only play in the second main phase so that they think I have like a pump spell or something in my hand just to bluff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. especially gotta keep playing them on green players. That's very pop- prominent. <laughs> Definitely. Then we got the ending phase, which consumes consists of the end step 
activated abilities that trigger at the beginning of your end step go on the stack. Players can respond to this. Uh, then there's the cleanup step. If you have more than seven cards in your hand, you choose and discard down to seven. All damage on creatures is, is removed all until end of turn defects end, and no one can cast anything during the step. Now, the creatures damage removed and end of turns happen simultaneously, and the reason for that is if you have a creature that has, um, if, let's just say they did, if it was worded where it does un- until end of fe- a turn effects, like a pump spell, and that wore off before the damage, it could kill the creature in the end step, and that they uh, uh, fixed it to where all of it's removed at one time. Um, so don't have to worry about the end of turn killing your creatures because of damage in a pump. Right. Um, and then the end step a lot of times is where people will play things before their turn. So you can't respond in the cleanup step when they're discarding, but you can in the end step, which is like, oh, hey, I'm ending my turn. Do you have any last responses before I discard down to seven cards and pass to you? Yep. And also, if in your cleanup step, listen, say you have a Madness deck and you discard, those stacks will go back on, those effects will go on the stack and it will restart the end step and it will keep going through it until there is nothing nothing to resolve at the end step, or at the cleanup. So just understand that it can, you can have multiple end steps within an end step. Well, quote unquote, it's not really going to be an entrance into an end step, but yes. (laughs) Yes. And also keep in mind that there again fringe cases. There are things that will that can say something like um, there uh, there's there's specific spells that can say something like you know your turn ends basically, which just means your phases the rest of your phases just don't happen. Or or like something like I think there's one that ends the combat phase. I think that that's a that's one that there's a couple of cards that do that if I remember right. Um, and so if a card like that is played, there's nothing you can do. Your your phase is gone. <laughs> Unless, unless you counter. Unless there's like a counter, yeah. But that's uh, that's generally how um, <laughs> rough basics of how a turn works. Um, that's all we got for notes. Um, but since, uh, as I said, we've been kind of glossing over this, um, we'll talk about planeswalkers quick because it's kind of the one thing that. We haven't exactly uh, brought up. Um, so I'm going to use one as an example. Um, this is kind of a well-known earlier days Planeswalker. Uh, we'll bring up Jace Bellerin um, from the Lorwyn, uh, fa- uh, play- uh, Lorwyn set. That's what I'm looking for. Um, so how a Planeswalker works is it's a permanent that basically kind of acts like a player, quote-unquote, that you control. Essentially, that's exactly how it is. It's, it's another target for your opponent to attack directly into. Um, you'll also hear them referred to, especially in the commander world, as super friends. Yep, um, and there, there's literally decks that are built around that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all planeswalkers are legendary, um, which means you cannot have two of the exact same one. It used to be that you couldn't have uh, more than one of the same name, but they changed that uh, ways back. So now it's just you can't have more than one of the exact same one. For yeah, example, you can't have another Jace Bellerin in play, but you can have a Jace the Mind Sculptor in play. 
and it used to not be that way. Yeah, because they I, I can't remember when they changed that, but that that was that was a that was a big thing that like, that was a play tactic back in the in the World Wake days is people would literally run Jace Bellerin to exile Mind Sculptor. Like that was just literally a, a clear. <laughs> uh and this is also back before the legend rule applied to one player. I used to play for the whole board. Uh that also was changed uh recently. Um Yeah. Another thing about planeswalkers, they all enter with a set number of counters. And they, then their abilities are activated by adding or subtracting that a number of counters. So in uh, uh, the the card layout is similar to how a creature is. You'll have the the name text in the upper left corner like a creature. You'll have the mana cost in the upper right corner like a creature, and then you'll in the middle you'll have the planeswalker, which is the type, and then who it is in this case is jace and then where the power toughness would normally be on a creature you instead have a single number and that is what's called the loyalty counter that it comes into play with so in jace's in jace bellerin's case it's three which means it comes into play with three counters on it so you'll have to get dice or something to uh, keep track of that now it'll have each uh, it has uh, in this case it has three abilities. Most planeswalkers two. Some have two. Some have four. Like the really crazy ones. Generally, it'll be three abilities though. Uh, you can choose one to play each turn, and you can only do one. Um, so in Jace Bellerin's case, you have a plus two, which means uh, if if you uh, do it the first uh, turn that you put him into play. Uh, you up his uh, his loyalty from three to five because you add two, and then you do the ability, which is each player draws a card. And then um, it has a minus ability. Uh, so then minus one is target player discards a card. So then in this case, um, uh, if if uh, you if it's the first turn you played it and you only want to draw a card, you you uh, subtract him down to two um if he only has one loyalty left and you do this ability it you will be forced to uh remove him from the battlefield into the graveyard right and then uh every planeswalker has what's what we nickname an ultimate which uh, in this case is his uh minus 10 so it takes you a few turns to kind of accumulate this. Um, and then in his case, is, oh, if, if you do get 10 uh, counters on him, then target player puts the top 20 cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. So it's kind of a wing con in his case, which is why it's so high. Other quote-unquote ultimates are more like, you know, minus 5 or minus 6, you know, depending on the Planeswalker. Um, this one's a little more... Well, yeah, Ugin's a whole, Ugin's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, so the other thing to remember about Planeswalkers is their loyalty is also considered their health. Um, so uh, as we mentioned earlier, um, like talking about targeting with spells and also with combat, is you can redirect damage to Planeswalkers and their loyalty is also their health. So if they get hit by a creature, you have to subtract that much loyalty from them. Yep, or if you target it with a lightning bolt, they take three. Yeah, exactly. So then, so let's say if he's at three loyalty and they get and he gets bolted, uh, he's dead. He, he gone. <laughs> Unless you counter it or something. That's kind of the that's my rough thing on planeswalkers. 
Anything to add about Planeswalker stack? I think he hit everything on the head there. I don't think I need to add anything on that one. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, we're wrapping up towards the outro of our show here. But before we go, we want to ask if you have any last advice for new players out there stacked. My best advice for you is, A, if you have a computer that can handle it, download MTGA, um, start playing it, go through the tutorials, read the tutorial, listen to it. It will give you a lot of advice. The other thing, if you have a local LGS, um, most LGSs will have a judge, um, not necessarily on call, but a judge that they will be able to direct you to to show you how to play. Pick up a starter deck and just start playing. Um, it, 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 Your first couple games are going to be rough. I understand it. Everyone understands it, especially experienced players. No newer players are going to have our time. Ask questions. Ask questions. Ask questions. Um, I know within the MTG Place Discord, the, there's anyone will be more than willing to answer questions for you. Um, you can ask me in the judge section, or if you see me popping around, you can ask me questions anywhere. I'm more than glad to answer them. Yeah, I was going to say my game store actually has occasionally, I don't know if they do it all the time, but you can go in there and if you want to learn how to play Magic, they'll teach you how to play and they actually give you a free welcome deck and just will walk you how to play with this free welcome deck that's not, you know, worth much money, but it's, it's you know, cards from Wizards that they give out to get people into the game. Yeah, and LGSs are known for doing that. Not every LGS does it, but a lot of them do. Yeah. And it's also... Um... It helps a lot to to have someone who's experienced with magic to te- to like have someone like when you're trying to learn because uh, uh, they'll be able to kind of help you through the steps because there's a lot. <laughs> and then even like some of the like e- like especially when you're starting out, uh, you might have questions about you know things that are a lot more basic. A lot of them you can even Google. Like there will be answers for yeah. a lot more basic calls. Um, Wizards of the Coast, uh, I can't. I think it's the Gather or something like that. That's a great resource for uh, card rulings and stuff like that independently. Yeah, they'll put the most most recent or most what is it called like the frequently asked rulings on yeah, the bottom the facts, of the Gather or yeah. text thing. Um, also, I think there's a Ask a Judge forum out there from the internet that you can ask with like yeah, live chat with the judge. So yeah, those there, are, cool. there are several. Definitely, definitely uh, nice resources. That's when you maybe get into more complicated things, which, you know, once you get more advanced, you will definitely hit that eventually. Um, we even in our in our play group, uh, like especially when Corey and I are playing with Mitch, like we went into all kinds of weird fringe cases. We're like, how does this work? <laughs> and we've been playing Magic right. forever, and we still run into yeah, like, like we don't know exactly magic for, how things happen. We've been playing Magic for what, like twenty years or something, and it's like we still have to yeah, look like most of out. our lives. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll we'll hit weird edge cases with weird combo combinations of cards, especially in Commander. Commander is like the epitome of weird fringe cases because you'll yeah. run into strange stuff, especially since it's the most open pool card pool. Yeah, so. it's it's huge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the be- best advice is go out there and try to have fun with it. Um, I, I, we, again, all experienced players are going to understand. New players are going to have a hard time um, with it. But have fun. Ask questions. That's that's the biggest advice I can give you is ask questions. Definitely. All right. Uh, thanks for being on uh, Stacked. Uh, hopefully we can yeah, have you back again. Yeah, that's great. 
It's great talking with you. This is awesome. How can people uh, reach you if say they want to check you out? So uh, two major places I tend to play a lot in is uh, Twitch. You can find me as, uh, on Twitch. as Twitch, uh, Twitch uh, twitch.tv forward slash stack TCG or on Twitter um, with the at uh, real underscore stack TCG. Those are the two biggest places I tend to hang out. Um, and you can also check my other socials from there. And you can also uh, hit them up on Discord if you're in our MTG Place Discord. Yep. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Please uh, share this with your friends and others who love magic. We're trying to grow our community. And uh, thanks for listening. See you all next time. Appreciate you a lot. Thanks so much. Catch you. Y'all have a good one.